You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. There was no reason why they couldn't have taken the city of Jerusalem right from the very beginning when they first crossed over into the land of Canaan. But this is very much like many Christians today. God wants to drive out those pet sins of ours, but nevertheless, we still hold on to them. And then time passes and time goes on and you know, we're still vexed with the same things, the same sins, and we never go on to maturity. And yes, we love the Lord, but we never experience that victory that God wants us to experience. Do you ever feel like you've been chained and locked in a prison with no hope of getting out? Today, Pastor Mike shares with us how Israel sometimes took a long time to believe the promises of God and to do what he said to do to fulfill the promise. If you're born again from above, adopted into the family of God, you should know that what held you bound no longer has a hold on you. Look up. The chains are loosened and the prison door is wide open. You can walk free in Jesus. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5 as he begins his message, The Secret to Success. The remainder of chapter 5 is all about David's rise to power. And the reason why David was able to rise to power was because of God's favor in his life. The truth of the matter is I could probably just end the Bible study there. Because that's what this message is all about uh, this morning. It's all about having and acquiring God's favor in our lives. Notice there in verse 10, that's the key. Go quickly ahead to verse 10. And there we are told, notice, that the Lord God of hosts was with him. That is, was with David. And the result of that was, God had set David upon the throne of all of his people against a strong external opposition. That is, those who oppose God's will are now dead. Remember those individuals who oppose God's will. For example, Abner who was Saul's uh, commander of his troops. Ishbosheth, which was the puppet king who had reigned in the north of Israel. At this time, Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of the north, and Ishbosheth ruled in the north, and David there in the south. But now all of those individuals who oppose God's will are dead. And we are about to read of David's successful not only ascending to the throne over all of God's people, Israel, 
but also David's successfully capturing the city of Jerusalem, enjoying the benefits of a friendship with another potentate, another king whose name was Hiram, who was the king of Tyre, that will last David the rest of his life. And as we move through 2 Samuel and some of the other Old Testament books, he's mentioned quite frequently as one of David's friends. Also in this chapter, we will be introduced to David's growing family, a family that David rejoiced in. We'll also see David and his men victorious in battle against the Philistines, repulsing two Philistine invasions. So the point is is that this chapter, here in chapter 5, is just loaded with stories of success. Success, success, success. And so the writer now takes us from David's coronation there in the city of Hebron, and that's where David had set up his kingdom there in the south. Remember, we discussed this. We talked about it last time. It's recorded for us in the same chapter in verses 1 through 5. As the elders of the nation of Israel had come down to David and requested that he be king over all of Israel. And it was quite an impressive gathering, by the way, at that coronation of David in the book of First Chronicles in chapter 12 in verses 23 through 40. Remember I mentioned this last time. We have the record of actually what had taken place on that day of David's coronation. There were 340,000 soldiers who came with a loyal heart. They were of one mind, and that one mind was to make David their king. And there was a great festive occasion and a great time of rejoicing, which lasted for a period of three days. So let's pick up where we left off last time. That would be in verse 6. Let's read the first part of verse 6. And there we are told, And the king and his men, that would have been David and his men, went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now this is interesting. And uh, he went to capture the city of Jerusalem, as we will discover, I believe that God had led him to do this. But what's interesting about this is that it's been 400 years since God had told Israel to take all of the land of Canaan. Could you imagine that? 400 years. And at this particular time, Jerusalem was still under the rule of the Jebusites. I couldn't help but think of, and I just kind of penciled this in when I was kind of tweaking the message that I was going to deliver, you know, this is very much like some Christians today when, for example, we go through our conversion experience and we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. We receive the Holy Spirit. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to do a completely new work within our lives. And he wants to drive out all of those things within our lives that would be antagonistic towards our newfound Christian experience. And even as God spoke to the nation of Israel, he was going to go before them and drive them out. And they could have experienced that for themselves, except they didn't have enough faith to believe God, to trust God, to do that work. And you know, I found in my own Christian experience in counseling and being a pastor for as long as I have been, that there are so many people who are exactly like Israel, 400 years There was no reason why they couldn't have taken the city of Jerusalem right from the very beginning when they first crossed over into the land of Canaan. But this is very much like many Christians today. God wants to drive out those pet sins of ours, but nevertheless, we still hold on to them. 
and then time passes and time goes on and you know, we're still vexed with the same things, the same sins, and we never go on to maturity. And yes, we love the Lord, but we never experience that victory that God wants us to experience. I think there's a certain analogy here for us to consider. But anyway, once again, in verse 6, let's read it one more time. And the king and his men, David, went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now, you can be sure, as I've already suggested, that David, as in times past, present, and future, as we will see as it relates to the future, inquired of the Lord what he should do. I believe that God had given him the direction to go up and take the city of Jerusalem. Now, we're not told that, like in other portions of Scripture, where God, in a very exact way, in an audible voice, actually told David to go and do this or to go and do that, like, for example, to go up against the Philistines and how that God would go before him and give them the victory. So how do we know that? How do we know that God told David to take his men and go up and take the city of Jerusalem? Well, he wouldn't have proceeded to Jerusalem without explicit direction from the Lord of hosts. You see, earlier in Israel's history, God had indicated that when his people finally settled in the land of Canaan, he would put his name in one of the cities. And of course, God's intention was to put his name in the city of Jerusalem. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 12, and a couple of different verses there within that chapter, the first one is found in verse 5. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses, and that place was Jerusalem, out of all of your tribes to put his name of his dwelling place. And eventually, remember now, the temple would be built there in the city of Jerusalem. People would come there and worship the Lord there. They would offer up their sacrifices there. They would meet with God there in the city of Jerusalem. And there you shall go. Okay, jump ahead to verse 11. Then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And then finally in verse 14, In the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. So, once again, let me say, earlier in Israel's history, God had indicated that when his people settled in the land, he would put his name in one of the cities. But so far, none had been designated. But the way David proceeds in this chapter seems to intimate that the Lord had revealed his will to David. And thus, God confers a very special honor upon David, the man after God's own heart, God's representative at this time upon the earth, and David promptly carries out his will. You know, in this I see something that I think is worth mentioning. And think about it. God had conferred with David. In other words, he let David know what his plan was. And the reason was for that was because David was a man after God's own heart. And listen, if we are men and women after God's own heart, 
God will also confer with you. He will tell you those secrets that other people don't know, you know? And he'll use you to accomplish his perfect will in your life. And listen, is there anything better than that? Think about that. To be used of God. You know, for God to confide in you. To open up his plan to you. To use you as an instrument that that plan might be fulfilled. Now, let's talk about the importance of the city of Jerusalem. For a couple of different reasons. First of all, because of its location. Jerusalem was at the crossroads of the land of Canaan, virtually right in the middle of the land that was given to God's people. And you can check that out on your Bible atlas at the back of many of your Bibles. And every traveler who traveled the central route of Palestine from north to south would have passed through Jerusalem. And I guess the idea was even the Gentiles that had business dealings that had to travel through that location might be influenced by the temple that was going to be built there. Israel was all about God's vantage point to reach the world for Jesus Christ. So all of travelers, you know, traveling that corridor, that route, would have had to come into contact with the temple and maybe be influenced for God's son, Jesus Christ. In addition, secondly, the position of the city was unrivaled militarily. It stood on a rocky plateau, surrounded on three sides by deep ravines that formed a natural fortress. It was virtually unassailable. And by the way, also the Jebusites who were presently living within the city, the current occupants also added to other fortifications of that city. So this was the reason why it was so important, the importance of the city of Jerusalem. So how was David able to capture this city? Well, we're about to find out. Let's go back to our text. Go back to verse 6, verses 6 through 9. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. So they're very confident that Israel would not be successful in their campaign to take the city. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, and that's the way they refer now uh, to the city of Jerusalem as the city of David. It was an honor that was conferred upon David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo inward. Okay, so David and his men travel some 19 miles from the city of Hebron, intending to attack the city. The Jebusites entrenched and secure. Remember now, Jerusalem was a very secure city, considered uh, unassailable. So the Jebusites are entrenched and secure. The gates of the city are locked. It's a walled fortress. They begin to mock Israel's intentions from the high walls of the city. And notice their cry in jest. The blind and the lame shall turn you away. So that's what they're crying out as they stand on the top of the walls 
as Israel is heading towards the city gates. And this was typical pre-battle boasting. And we've seen this in, uh, on other occasions throughout the Bible. Now, Josephus, the Jewish historian, claimed that the Jebusites actually put the blind and the lame among them around the walls to show to David how confident they were of their city's invincibility. Well, to their surprise, David quickly takes their city. And notice, there's not much of a battle that ensues. The details of combat aren't even mentioned. And I think that this is significant. But how David was actually able to enter the city, to take the city, is discovered here in verse 8. Notice the reference to the water shaft. Do you see that there? It was through the water shaft that David and his men entered into the city. So during wartime, when the people would stay in the gates of the city that was under siege, they would draw their water supply from a shaft that connected the city with the Gihon Spring in the Kidron Valley. Well, David and his men climbed the limestone rock and entered the city through that corridor. That's how they actually entered into the city. And once inside the city, David's men captured the fortress without much resistance. Now, David and his men persisted through difficult circumstances to defeat an overconfident enemy. Do you see that? He persisted. You know, he could have, like, just, you know, evaluated the situation with his limited resources, and there was only 600 men that went with David in this occupation. He could have thought to himself, no way that this is going to happen. But notice, he continued to persist through difficult circumstances to defeat an overconfident enemy. And that's exactly who the Jebusites were. They were overconfident. Okay, now, Alan Redpath, who's one of my favorite authors, anything that you can get your hands on that Alan Redpath has written. In fact, he's written a commentary on First and Second Samuel called, guess what? The Making of a Man of God. That's where I ripped the title off of for this series. And it's really one of my favorite commentaries on First and Second Samuel. But Alan Redpath, in his commentary, sees this as an analogy. All of what had just taken place, David being able to take the city, even in spite of the fact that they were so confident that that wouldn't happen. So Redpath, in his writings, sees this whole incident as an analogy. And he also sees David as a type. And in his writings, he suggests that on the same principle, King Jesus... And remember, I've also suggested in some of our previous messages that David becomes a type of who Jesus is in the Old Testament. Remember, there are these types in the Old Testament. And I believe that David is sort of like a type of Jesus Christ. So on the same principle, Redpath writes, King Jesus conquers old strongholds when he becomes king over our lives. Territory that should have been given to him long ago is now conquered. He goes on to declare, I want to say to you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
that there is no habit that has gone so deep, but that the power of the blood of Jesus can go deeper. And there is no entrenchment of sin that has gone so far, but the power of the risen Lord by his Holy Spirit can go further. So, there's no reason why you need to continue to be vexed by your reoccurring sin within your life. Let your King Jesus, even as King David was able to take that city that seemed unconquerable. You know, sometimes we get into that mindset of like, you know, God is just going to have to be satisfied with like 80% of my life. And we just continue to hold on to, as I mentioned before, those pet sins, you know? But there's no such thing as an 80% kind of a Christian. Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. Don't make concessions with the enemy. Don't make concessions with your flesh. God is more than able, through the work of his Holy Spirit, to take those areas of our lives you know, that seem impregnable and remove them from our lives, that we might be able to get the victory over them. Let's go back to our text. And notice then in verse 9 we read, Then David dwelt in the stronghold, and called it the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. Okay, so at last, David is in a position to take up permanent residence in Jerusalem. In honor of his victory, Jerusalem is called the city of David. And thus it becomes his capital, going forward, his headquarters. But Jerusalem, according to our text, needs attention. The foundations need to be secured. The place called Milo possibly was referring to the supporting terraces of the hill inside the city wall, and it had to be reinforced. And interestingly enough, archaeologists have found evidence of such buttressing both before and after the time of David. A buttress, just in case you're not familiar with that term, is a projecting support of brick or stone built against a wall. So David went ahead and began this whole process of fortifying the city. Well, anyway, with this done, the king, David, can now turn his attention to other matters. Let's go back to our text, verse 10. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Now notice here, the writer is careful to remind us that in the final analysis, David's success, and remember that's what this message is all about this morning, success and how to acquire it. David's success must be attributed to the Lord's good hand that was upon him. Notice what we are told there in verse 10. The Lord God of hosts. In the Hebrew, it's Elohim. Cebu. The idea here is that God is sovereign over all things. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Samuel, an Old Testament book that continues the story of David. David was a great king, loved by many, and forever etched in history as a man after God's heart. Yet, he wasn't perfect. God used David in powerful ways, 
even after he had failed. And God can use you, too. Are you still seeking the Lord? Are you repentant when you fall? God sees your heart, and he's merciful, and he has great plans for you. Continue to trust in his goodness and faithfulness, and let him use you to bring glory to his name and share the good news of the hope that's found in Christ. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more right here on In My Father's House.